All right, good morning. There's another good crowd here today. I, I would be surprised if we didn't at least break 40, but I'd be happy if we broke 45 again. That's great. And welcome to any visitors that we have. Uh, and we ask you to stick around a little bit. Let us get to know you uh, afterwards. And the, the people here, this church is so kind and so loving. Uh, it's a great group of people, very friendly. Uh, you'll find them to be a wonderful Christian family. So stick around and, and let us get to know you. Uh, thank you to Carl for, for those uh, great songs, leading those great songs. Thank you to uh, Clay for the, the prayer. As for Jeff, I don't know about that. Uh, when's your birthday, Jeff? Today. Today. I heard, I heard, I heard something about that. How, how many? 30. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm getting pretty close. So Another birthday? Oh, okay. All right. 50, all right. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm going to be 47 on Wednesday, so I'm, I'm catching up to you quick. So uh, anyway, uh, today I want to talk about, about Thanksgiving. And uh, for obvious reasons, not just to do with my birthday, but Thanksgiving is one of my favorite, is my favorite, technically my favorite holiday. So my daughter Iris, her favorite holiday is uh, Halloween. She loves all the Halloween stuff. I think she just likes candy. Uh, for for many in my family, their favorite holiday is the, the Christmas time and all the decorations and all of that. I think they just like presents. But I like food. Uh, but I like Thanksgiving for a whole other reason besides food. And I, th- I like Thanksgiving because of how it's uh, it's just a time where we stop and we give thanks to God and we stop and just appreciate what he has done for us. And I'm so thankful. You know how you go around the, the table at Thanksgiving and you say what you're thankful for? Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for so many things right now. But I I'm, want to express that I'm, first I'm thankful for, uh, for my, son, my grandson, Gohan. You know, this is his first Thanksgiving where he kind of knows what's going on and can try the food and stuff. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm very most thankful for the church here and what you all have, have meant to me and my family. The opportunity that you've given me to come and speak to you so many times this year has really been uh, just great encouragement and faith building and helpful for me and my family. So I, I want to express my thanks to all of you for providing that kind of environment uh, and encouragement to me and my family. It's been uh, it's been wonderful, and uh, there'll be two more times that I'll be speaking to you this year. Towards the end of next month, I'll be here on Christmas Day. I was thinking Christmas Day would be a great day to try to break the the forty five number. Just if you got a lot of family coming in for the holidays, I guess it'll depend on if you're going somewhere or if they're coming in here. But bring them all along on Christmas Day. It'll be uh, a wonderful uh, opportunity to be together. But I wanted to express my thanks to you. And I want to tell you this too. You know, I want to, the verses we're going to look at are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, Jeff's favorite memory verse is probably John 11:35. Jesus wept, right? It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. When I was a kid, I, I loved that one. If we had a memory verse, Jesus wept was the, the shortest verse in the Bible, easiest to memorize. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17 are actually shorter in the Greek. 
And we sometimes pull them apart and just, just talk about those verses, but it's really one sentence that goes from, from verse 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And everything give thanks. And he ties that to rejoicing always. We're to have this attitude of rejoicing. We're to pray without ceasing. We use that one all the time, like it's a separate, separate little section, but it's really part of this verse that, or this sentence that goes on to, in everything give thanks. So we're to rejoice. We're to pray all the time and we're to give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Just think about that and, and tying it to Thanksgiving in our country. This day that we set aside to be with friends or family, to, to eat wonderful meals, some, some of the things we, we don't make any other time during the year, uh, and, and to just be thankful to God for all He's given to us. And I want to talk to you today about how this holiday came about in in the United States, and and the the reason I want to do this, I, I want to, I think it's good for our young people, and it's good to be reminded of how our country was founded on these godly principles, and how that is supposed to carry our government and our people through, and we're going to talk about that at length, but really. You know, this is not how Thanksgiving started. You know, this idea, I think this is, this idea was kind of created so that we could have the, the turkey, you can make the hand turkeys in school every, every time. Thanksgiving was not started really by the pilgrims who invited the Native Americans, the Indians to come over and have a meal. Actually, what happened there was the Native Americans heard, uh, the pilgrims out. They wanted to have a feast to celebrate the harvest. They went out hunting deer. Uh, the Native Americans heard that gunfire and they thought they were preparing for war. So they showed up ready, ready for, for a fight. And, uh, and they said, no, no, we're doing this, this, uh, Thanksgiving meal, this harvest festival, come and, and share it with us. And, and details of that are sketchy, but that's not really how Thanksgiving started. That's sort of the myth, uh, to do with Thanksgiving in our country. The first Thanksgiving proclamation, the, the first Thanksgiving that we had is actually right before the revolution started in 1776. And that was on March 16th, and it was by the first president of what would be the United States. As, as we're uniting the colonies and, and we're coming together, the first president was not George Washington, it was actually John Hancock. He's the third president of the Continental Congress and the first president while we were united as colonies. And I want to read this proclamation to you. I won't read all of these proclamations that we're going to go over, but I want to read this one to you. It's fairly short because I want you to get a sense of how the people that founded this country and the leaders of this country, how they talked back then when they talked and referred to God. Now, he, he made this fast day proclamation and this is what he said. He said, in times of impending calamity, remember this is just before the Declaration of Independence, just a couple of months after this, 
they would be writing the Declaration of Independence and be going to war with the greatest superpower of that time, England. He says, In times of impending calamity and distress, when the liberties of America are imminently endangered by the secret machinations and open assaults of an insidious and vindictive administration, it becomes the indispensable duty of these hereto free and happy colonies with true penitence of heart and the most reverent devotion publicly to acknowledge the overruling providence of God, to confess and deplore our offenses against him, and to supplicate his interposition for averting the threatened danger and prospering our strenuous efforts in the cause of freedom, virtue, and posterity. Desirous at the same time to have people of all ranks and degrees duly impressed with a solemn sense of God's superintending providence, and of their duty devoutly to rely in all their lawful enterprises on his aid and direction, do earnestly recommend that Friday the 17th day of May next be observed by the said colonies as a day of humiliation, as being humble, fasting, and prayer, that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions and by a sincere repentance and amendment of life appease his righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation mediation of Jesus Christ, obtain his pardon and forgiveness, humbly imploring his assistance to frustrate the cruel purposes of our unnatural enemies, that it may please the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, to animate our officers and soldiers with invincible fortitude, to guard and protect them in the day of battle, and to crown the continental armies by sea and land with victory and success, earnestly beseeching him to bless our civil rulers, and the representatives of the people in their several assemblies and conventions to preserve and strengthen their union, to inspire them with an ardent, disinterested love of their country, to give wisdom and stability to their councils, and direct them to the most efficacious measures for establishing the rights of America on this most honorable and permanent basis, that he would be graciously pleased to bless all his people in these colonies with health and plenty, and grant that a spirit of incorruptible patriotism and of pure undefiled religion may universally prevail and this continent be speedily restored to the blessings of peace and liberty and enabled to transmit them inviolate to the latest posterity and is recommended to Christians of all denominations to assemble for public worship and abstain from servile labor on that said day. So what did he say? He said we're dependent upon God. This nation is dependent upon God. Our laws are founded on godly Principles, And we rely on the providence of God. And he called on people to repent, take a day off of work, and fast and pray. Now, we don't get that fasting part on Thanksgiving anymore. I don't, any of you planning on fasting on Thursday or Friday? We're, we're celebrating Thanksgiving on Friday. I don't plan to fast on that day. But I do plan to set a, a day aside from work to, to be thankful to God and to pray and to be mindful. And that's what he's saying here. He's like, look, we're about to go to war with this great power. And as a nation, we are reliant upon God. Isn't that wonderful? What, what if one of our leaders got up and said something like that today? How do you think that would go over? Not too well. I'm not thinking. I think they would be pretty much attacked. But that's John Hancock, who was the third president of the Continental Congress. After the war started, you can see these are all the presidents 
of the Continental Congress. I wanted you to be able to see how many of them issued Thanksgiving Day proclamations, which were usually a call to fast and pray uh, for the nation and to be reliant upon the providence of God. They were trying to place the nation in the hands of God, and they saw that as vitally uh, required in order to have a successful nation. Uh, again, Henry, uh, Henry Lawrence in 1777, he issued, he was now the president of the Continental Congress. He issued another one. I won't take the time to read all of these, but he did say, for as much as an indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for the benefits received. That's how he starts his Thanksgiving Day proclamation. So we see Henry Lawrence, John Jay issued one in 1779. Uh, Samuel Harrington issued one in 1781. John Hanson in 1782. Elias Boudinay, I don't know how to say his name. But he was now the president of the Continental Congress, and as the war ended, he issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation in 1783. And then when George Washington, I want you to think about this, in 1789, George Washington was elected president of the United States unanimously by the electors. How likely is it today that we're going to get unanimous on anything, right? You could, you could have just like the most popular thing in the world that everybody kind of agreed on, and you still have somebody stand up and disagree with it in Congress, right? But George Washington was elected unanimously as the president, and one of the first things he did was issue a Thanksgiving Day proclamation. And I just want you to hear how the president of the United States, the new president, our first president, and you can kind of get a sense of why we think of him as the father of our country. He says, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. And he goes on. He hand-wrote this in his own hand. Presidents don't really write their speeches anymore, but George Washington wrote this proclamation and signed it. Uh, it goes on, of course, and it says more wonderful things, but the point is he's asking the whole nation to set aside a day in thankfulness to God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I find that to be just wonderful, that that's what the principle that America is founded on. It didn't stop with George Washington. Our second president, John Adams, he issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation. Sounds very similar to George Washington's, but he made this additional point in his and John Adams very, very much believed this. He believed that the safety and continuation of our country depended upon people following Christian principles. He said, without which social happiness cannot exist 
nor the blessings of a free government be enjoyed. He believed that unless, as a nation, we turned to God and used the Bible as our founding principles, we could not continue to exist as a free country. That's amazing, right? You don't hear people talk quite like that so much anymore. Well, what about Thomas Jefferson, so our third president? People often refer to him as being uh, less religious than the other presidents. And he also is the one who coined the phrase uh, separation of church and state. I want to talk about that a little bit. I want you to think about Thomas Jefferson. He is the person who penned the Declaration of Independence. Now, it was part of a committee, and there were a couple of changes made to it, but he is the one who wrote the, the Declaration of Independence. So where do we get this idea, this separation of church and state? Is it, is it to be found in the Declaration of Independence? I mean, this is, is one of the founding documents of our country, right? I've seen it many times. I've had the opportunity to go to National Archives and, and look at this great document. And inside of it, it says which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. And it says, All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So inside this document that Thomas Jefferson wrote, he makes the point that our creator endowed us with certain unalienable rights, rights that cannot be taken away from us because God has given them to all people. That's the founding document of our, our country, right? Well, what about the Constitution then, right? Jefferson didn't have anything to do with writing the Constitution, but what about the Constitution? Is, is the separation of church and state to be found inside the Constitution? Well, it's a less religious document, certainly, than the Declaration, which refers several times to God and, and God's power. But even in the Constitution, you can see uh, it says to secure the blessings of liberty. Well, where do we get blessings from? We get them from God. And it talks about by oath or affirmation. It put that affirmation in there because the Bible, in a couple of verses, talks about not taking oaths. To let your yes be yes and your no be no. So a lot of times people who who follow that verse, follow the Bible, instead of swearing at court, you will, I affirm, right? Instead of swearing. I affirm that what I'm, I'm going to say is the, is the truth. That's why that line is in there. It says, No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. So there's not separation of, of church and state, but there's no test that we're supposed to, supposed to be given. So it must be in the Bill of Rights, the separation of church and state. Well, I think you'll find just the opposite. In the Bill of Rights, in Amendment Number 1, it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It's, it's defending our right to have free religion. We can't have a state-run religion. And that was a great concern 
to our nation's founders. Why? Because they came out of a government that had a state religion, the Church of England. It actually bounced back and forth between Catholicism and the Church of England, many times creating wars and, and all sorts of problems for their country uh, and for, for the people that lived under that country because if you didn't follow that state religion or if the state religion changed, there would be wars fought and people dying over it. So where did this idea of the separation of church and state come from? Well, it came from a letter uh, from the Danbury Baptists. And what they were concerned about is a Catholic had been elected to office, and they were concerned that the Catholic person who had been elected would discriminate against them because it was sort of establishing a state religion in their community. They were concerned about that. They did not want a state religion. And Thomas Jefferson didn't want that either. And he wrote back to them, and inside that letter, and in the answer to this letter, they wrote to him in October of 1801. He wrote back to them in 1802. He he said that uh, there's a wall of separation between church and state which led to this shorthand for the separation of church and state is what people refer to now. But I want to be clear, this is not talking about a freedom from religion, freedom of religion. In other words, he was saying, look, nobody's going to be able to establish a state religion. And and you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know Thomas Jefferson felt that way? Well, he believed very adamantly that there wasn't going to be a state religion, but he did not fight to remove religion from all state obligations. So, for instance, as president, he started church services in the U.S. Capitol building. He had an interdenominational, it's, it's really the first mega church in the United States. You want to think about that. They were interdenominational church. Uh, that would meet in the Capitol building. By 1857, this church had grown to 10,000 people. And Thomas Jefferson put into law that Congress would provide funds to pay for state funds, taxpayer funds, to pay for Bibles and hymnals for this interdenominational church that would meet on Capitol grounds. And taxpayer... Thomas Jefferson did that. Does it sound like he meant to re- remove all religion out of the United States, out of anything official. So when people say separation of church and state, they are completely misapplying that uh, today in our society. And then as we go on, you get to James Madison. He's the fourth president. That's the first president that you stop remembering who the president was, right? Uh, but James Madison's the fourth president, and he issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation, and on down all the way up to Abraham Lincoln, who during the war each year issued uh, Thanksgiving proclamations asking for the nation to fast and pray and for God to prevail and bring them out of this war. Now, I know I'm in the South. Not everybody likes Abraham Lincoln in the South. That's okay. That's fine. But you also have Jefferson Davis. He was the president. So if you if you lean more towards the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis did the same thing. He issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation. He said, as God, who has been our bulwark and defense, 
and to offer unto him the tribute of thanksgiving and praise in his hands is the issue of all events, and to him should we, and in a special manner, ascribe the honor of this great deliverance. Our leaders, both the presidents of the United States, the president of the Confederacy, all look towards God as providing for our defense and for providence. So every year it was on different days. Eisenhower is the the president who finally uh, kind of issued the the Thanksgiving Day day when it's going to be. It's going to be on this this Thursday of November, which is why it moves around. And every so often it's on my birthday. I love it when Thanksgiving is on my birthday because I always feel like all that food is just for me. Uh, it's kind of a, a special deal. Also, it's a perfect time to have a birthday because it's too far away to combine your gift for Christmas, so you get two presents. I like that about it. But uh, Eisenhower is the first one to establish some of the traditions of, of the turkey and, and all of this, this idea of pardoning the turkey or spending time uh, with the troops. And every president uh, down throughout history continues to do this. Uh, he'll They'll have uh, things like George Bush did it with uh, Thanksgiving with the troops, and he flew in and he brought the, the big turkey dinner and all of that. You may remember uh, him doing that during the war. Uh, but he's not alone in it. Other presidents continue to do it. Uh, Obama uh, also issued uh, Thanksgiving Day proclamation, and he referred back to, uh, that's him pardoning a turkey, uh, President George Washington he said, President George Washington declared the first Thanksgiving in America, recounting the blessings of tranquility, union, and plenty that shined upon our young country in the dark days of the Civil War, when the fate of our union was in doubt. President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a Thanksgiving Day, calling for the Almighty Hand to heal and restore our nation. In confronting the challenges of our day, we must draw strength from the resolve of previous generations who face their own struggles and take comfort in knowing a brighter day has always dawned on our great land. As we stand at the close of one year and look at the promise of the next, we lift up our hearts in gratitude to God for our many blessings for one another and for our nation. I would say that it's, this is kind of where things started to get a little bit less mentioning of God and the Almighty, but he does talk about that. Trump, on November 23rd, uh, 2017, he issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation. He said, Americans give thanks to Almighty God. And thanks to God for these blessings. They are gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. As one people, we seek God's protection, guidance, and wisdom as we stand humble by the abundance of our great nation and the blessings of freedom, family, and faith to offer a prayer of thanks to God for our many blessings. And even our current president, uh, Biden, has issued Thanksgiving Day proclamations where he says, Thanksgiving provides us with a time to reflect on our many blessings from God, the nation, and each other. We are grateful for these blessings, even and especially during times of challenge. And I imagine he will issue another Thanksgiving Day proclamation this year. And I think it's good that I realize that we all, uh, you know, there's a lot of disagreement in our country and probably even within the church over politics, right? But I think it's good to remember that our politicians are still looking back to God and remembering that that's where it, it's really founded in. The principles of our country are founded in God. 
and realizing that that's where the blessings come from and that it's it's providence from God that continues to secure those freedoms and those blessings. If we get far enough away from it, we forget where it's rooted, we'll lose it. We'll lose our freedoms because they're rooted in God. And if that's true, that the nation goes that way, we lose our freedoms, I want you to understand that it's okay. It's a bad thing for the world and for the the country, and it's even a bad thing in a lot of ways for Christianity because it's hard for Christianity to spread without those freedoms, but it will spread. It will continue to spread. But we look back at biblical history. You look at Israel. When did they fall? And they fell over and over again. Look at the book of Judges, right? What happened with them? Well, they, they would come to God. They'd be worshiping God. They'd remember God. They'd be thankful to God. Then things are going so good. You know, we don't really need God. We're doing pretty good. Let's have a few other gods. Let's do a few other things. Let's, well, what happened? Well, they'd fall into captivity and, and they'd need a judge to come and tell them to repent and follow God and he'll deliver you. And he, and they would. And then that cycle would start all over again, right? But there were always faithful people in Israel who were still following God, and they had to suffer right along with those as well. And that may be the case for us in the future. I I like to tell our young people that you should expect persecution in the future. You should prepare yourself for it. You should make yourself steadfast and, and know where it is that you stand. Know why you stand for the things that you stand for, and then be prepared to stand there. Because the winds of doctrine, the winds of change, they're going to blow around you. And if you don't know where you stand and how to defend it, you're not going to make it. You have to put on the full armor of God. And you have to not take what we have for granted. I want to close by looking at Hebrews 12 and and verse 28. It says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We have something that can't be taken away. It doesn't matter what freedoms we lose. It doesn't matter you know, what kind of a nation this turns into or where... Other things are in the world. It doesn't matter if the nation falls away and falls and, and forgets God and, and goes down a, a dark and, and destructive path of, of losing freedoms. And this doesn't become the country or, or remain the country of this beacon of light that the world looks to. That doesn't matter because we have a kingdom that cannot be taken away. We have something that nothing of this world can destroy, even if it destroys our bodies, even if it destroys our livelihoods, our, ho- our household, our, our family. Even if that happens, we have something that cannot be taken away. We need to remember that and be thankful for it this Thanksgiving season. Well, that's, that's how I want to close. And by way of invitation, I just want to say, you know, maybe you haven't been thankful for what God has provided for you. Maybe you've you've gone down this, this kind of pride pathway. We talked about that a little bit 
last, last week where you kind of think, well, you know, I'm doing really good. It's all me, right? But we need to remember it's God that sustains us. It's God that provides the blessings. He provides the, our abilities and our talents. It's God where all of this is rooted, just as it's God that provides that for our nation. He also provides that for us individually. And without him, we have no hope. So I invite you to turn back to God if that's the case for you, to to put aside pride and to humble ourselves before God, realizing what he has given to us and how wonderful it is. And if you never obeyed the gospel, you've never been thankful for the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ who, who stepped in the gap, who filled the gap for us. We were separated from God by sin and we could not be reconciled we could not overcome that gap but he provided the the way the bridge for us to be able to be reconciled with him through Jesus Christ our savior that's the good news that's the gospel we would invite you to study with us and learn about how you can be a partaker of that good news if either of those is the case for you this morning please make it known come forward We'll pray with you and for you. Come as we stand and sing.